Thank you so much. Wow. We've got a God who understands our situation. He doesn't have to get up to speed on anything. He's, he's aware, He's prepared, and He's there for us. And the important question in this hour is, are we going to be there for Him? I look at the world that we're in, and I even have listened to the secular media as they've stated that they felt like that America was on the cusp of a great awakening, something that had not happened since the early founding of this country. And maybe they hear something that those who are deeply steeped in religion have not heard. Maybe they see that there's a change going about and people are turning to God and understanding He's the only hope. And I'm so thankful that through this series, talking about the road to His righteousness, today we are looking at the moment that Jesus walked in to the temple and saw what it had become and dealt with it and called His people back to righteousness. And I believe that's what He's doing today in the world that we live in. Because we've gotten far from God, but He's still where He's always been, and He's available. Creating a house of prayer often brings disruption and disturbance to those who don't understand God's purpose in this world. They don't understand the power of prayer. Prayer is not about changing God's mind as much as it is about changing you as you're in His presence. And God wants us to be a people of prayer, not just in times of tragedy or fear or danger, but in the calmness of the world, we come to Him and we allow God Himself to bathe us with His righteousness. Not to make us a better person. That's not what it's about. You can do that on your own. But about making us holy. To let His presence be seen because man's righteousness is as filthy rags before the Father. It is not to make this world a better place. It's not to make things better here that God sent His Son. Not at all. First Baptist Church of Selma does not exist to make Selma a better place. Because we know where the earth and and its inhabitants will end up in a human sense. Our purpose here is to call a people out for his name. And that call goes on constantly. And we pray that the Spirit of God would prepare hearts and ears to hear the truth. Remember that communion and communication with the living God is our lifeblood. And without it, we're, we're hopeless and we're helpless. Therefore, we come together to worship. Those of you that are listening at home, I'm glad you're there. I appreciate you. And, and those who, who did not come out today, that's perfectly fine. We, you've got to do in your heart and in your life what you know is best. And those people that live in the risk zones don't need to take a chance in any way. We are dealing with a situation with this this coronavirus we've never dealt with in America quite like this. My mother once remarked in a discussion about her family's uh, losing half their members in 1917, the early part of 1918, 
to the Spanish flu, she made the comment, she said, we did not have communication back then. People did not find out. Many people did not realize what was going on, and, and so many died. Well, we've got communication now. We can, something can happen on one side of the earth and can be broadcast on the other side within a second. But people are still sick. You see, God will protect us, and He's in control of things. And when our eyes and our focus is set on Him, He will defend and protect those who follow Him. God has a way of doing that. He always loves us, and He's going to meet our every need. Now, let's look at this text. This is the day after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And, and Jesus went to the temple, which was a natural thing for Him to do. What he found there was anything but a house of prayer. You see, picture in your mind, if you will, the confusion with all the people rushing around there to buy supplies and animals for the sacrifices. Listen to the clanging coins on the marble tables and understand what was going on as the money changers were there. There were people coming from all over to sacrifice there. And these merchants were there pretending they were providing a service. For some of these people came and they could not bring the sacrifices with them. And they certainly couldn't pay their tax there, the temple tax, with the currency of pagans which they carried. And so the money changers were there. The money changers were much like that box that used to exist on the outside of a car wash many years ago. And, and what it would do is you could go up there and you could put your dollar in. Do you remember that? And you'd get 75 cents back. Now, I can remember in 1976 when I got my first car and I wanted to go and wash it after I'd had it for a week or so. And I put that in there and I got back 75 cents and I guess I was raised by parents who were so much older than me, but, uh, I mean, they were, they were uh, depression kids, and they understood what money was about. But I looked at that, and I said, I paid 25% tax to get this money changed. And it made me angry because the man that owned the car wash owned the money changer. And it frustrated me. And it helped me to understand what was going on there because these people were charging individuals just to exchange money. Then they sold them their sacrifices and whatever else they had there. They were not there to, to help people come and worship. They were there to make money. And that so angered Jesus. These sellers were carrying merchandise through the temple court as they traveled back and forth. They didn't even respect the temple. Mark eleven sixteen 16 talks about how they just simply treat it as another marketplace. It was a lucrative business for them. And they didn't want to stop. But Jesus understood that this was his place, not theirs. And he had to prepare that place before he went away. He had to make it clear what they were doing wrong. And, and so quickly they had fallen into that place. And what they did, some people would look and say, well, listen, they're providing a service. What's wrong with that? I remember attending a church service in New York City. 
in Brooklyn. It's a very famous church. I was going there because a very close friend of mine, Dr. R. Quinn Pugh, was the head of the New York Baptist Convention, and he wanted me, while I was in New York, to come and to visit this church. He was going to speak that day, and they had asked if I would uh, have a prayer during the service, and I was happy to do that until I realized I was going to pay $4.75 to park next to the church to do that. They apologized to me after that. They said, that this is just New York. Everything costs something when you're here. I'm proud to announce that I drove into the city, and I parked, and I went through that service, and I drove out as quickly as I could go. I wanted no part of that. I can understand the frustration of Jesus that merchants and business people had come in and, and had a strong foothold in what belonged to him. It was a house of prayer, not a house of business. I want to look at this statement and this reaction of Jesus for a little bit, and I want to think about what a house of prayer really is. First of all, I want to explain the purpose of Jesus' anger there. Here it was, the last week of Jesus' ministry. He knew that he would die very soon. Even though he had told his disciples repeatedly, they somehow had missed the boat on that. They didn't understand what was really going to happen. I think they thought he was speaking in allegories or euphemisms. Somehow he didn't really mean literally that that was going to happen. Like someone who would come home from work and say, I'm so tired, I just want to lay down and die. They did not realize he was speaking of a literal death on a cross. Why should he worry about that at that time, knowing what he was about to face? Why bother to do anything about the problems there in the temple? Why didn't he just let it slide? That's what we would say. Don't, don't get upset, just let it go. It's too late to make changes now. You're going to resolve all this this week. Just, just don't worry about it. But the reality is one reason he got so upset about it was because the Gentiles who were coming to worship, who had been converted to Judaism, they were coming to worship and they were being cheated. You see, at this time, the disciples, no one realized that God was reaching out not just for the Jewish people, but He was reaching out for the Gentiles also. And yet these people were taking advantage of them. They were blocking the door to faithfulness to these people. They were making them pay an extra price. They were making it difficult for them. You know, hundreds of years before that, Isaiah Look forward to the time when the temple would be called a house of prayer. But now, at the dawn of the Messianic age, Jesus finds it to be, as he calls it, a den of robbers. Church can become that if you don't stay focused on the God who created all that we have. We can make church into a business, and it is not, it's a ministry. This church is so significant because this church influences lives that go around the world. This church has sent out missionaries and ministers all over. 
We continue to do that. We continue to, to influence missions work everywhere. I had a discussion just two weeks ago with, with our m- missions director about a possible missionary trip for our members to take. And we do that because even though God has called us to serve here, we need a greater understanding of missions work around the world. And when we go and we touch that, it changes us. It makes us more focused on missions and ministry. Many young children have gone out with their parents on a summer missions project. And in the quiet, early hours of the morning, all alone in prayer, God has spoken to that child or children and said, this is where I want you to be. That's why it's important for us to do work like that. And that's why Jesus was so concerned because in the activity and the madness of what was going on there in the temple, it was hard to hear the voice of anyone, let alone the voice of God. The temple service required provisions be made forgetting what was needed for the sacrifices, the animals, the wood, the oil, especially for pilgrims that had come a long way. But the money changers converted the Greek and Roman currency into the temple currency, and and they had to pay that half shekel back then, which was the tax you, you paid for going into the temple. It seemed logical, but it had become an industry that had overwhelmed and swallowed what God intended to be a connection between the Creator and His creation. Many times we find that our lives have become, in many ways, like this situation. We get caught up in something like that, and and we get far from from God. Sin creeps into our life, or or our calendar, our schedule overtakes us, and, and we find that we just don't have time to worship like we once worshiped. We justify it by saying... I didn't have a choice, or this is just the way things are. Look around me. Everybody else is in this situation. But the truth be told, God's people should prioritize God at the top of their list always. You know, I look around me, and we have, I've counted about 16 people in the audience here, not including our wonderful choir that's here and and those that are on the platform. but, But the reality is this. When there is no coronavirus, when there is no disease, the greatest enemy to gathering a people together in church when everyone's healthy and there's nothing to hold you back is generally good weather and sunshine. And especially if that group of people are meeting in that thing called a stadium and they're playing a sport. People tend to get distracted. They say to themselves, I won't be missed. Can I remind you that the first person that misses you when you don't go to church is God himself? Because he said, forsake not the assembling together of ourselves. That is oh so important. It's it's tough to understand fully and totally what it means to walk with the living Christ until you are willing to trust him for your substance day by day. I had a woman that went through a horrible situation many years ago in my church in Atlanta. She was shopping at Lenox Square Mall and and someone distracted by looking at their phone drove through a crosswalk and hit this woman in her 80s. Broke 40 bones in her body. 
I would go to see her there at Emory University Medical Center in the ICU, and the doctors would all say the same thing, she won't make it. I remember taking a good friend of hers with me, and she said this. She said she will make it because I know her prayer life. She's not laying there worrying every time a, a nurse or doctor comes up and leans over. She's not worried about what the clinical specialist might say over her bed there to one another. That's not going to draw her attention away. She said she is a woman of faith and prayer. And her focus is on one thing, getting back in God's house, serving Him obediently. And you know what? She did. She made it. I can't say as much for the woman that ran over. She went to jail where she belonged. In fact, as, as the lady shared with me one time, she said, I, I went to the Fulton County Jail to visit her. And she said, I took her a Bible. And she said, I told her, you need to get that phone out of your hand and put this Bible in your hand. We need to be a people of prayer that stay close to our Lord. Jesus had a reason for being upset with what was going on. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, do, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? We are that temple. God has given us a place that is so significant and so powerful that sometimes we're distracted and we forget who we are and whose we are. But secondly, I want you to notice this. Jesus was not distracted by this complicated situation. He dealt with it quickly for a reason. His very presence was disturbing to anyone who was there that day. They began to shout out, Who is this? Is this the one that we've heard about from Nazareth in Galilee? He focused both on buyers and the sellers. He overturned the tables of the money changers and he made a statement to them very plainly what this, this place was about. It was his. It was not theirs. They could not take it over. They could not domineer things that were there. It was very important. And he knew that he was called by his father to be there that day for a reason. Therefore, he could not neglect what he was doing. His goal was to create a sacred space a place of prayer, especially for the Gentiles as well as the Jews, but for the Gentiles who were seeking and trying to find the true and the living God. Although this action seems bizarre to many, he was following the instructions of his father. The story was told by Paul Harvey years ago of a young boy that was waiting for the bus in front of a store. The shopkeeper at the store was out sweeping along his, his sidewalk and straightening up the, 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 the apples and all the fruit that was in the display along, along the front there. And he leaned over and he said, Son, if you want to catch the bus, you need to go up there to the corner because that's where the bus stops. See the bus stop? Right there. And so the boy just stood there and smiled. The man continued to clean, and he went back inside, and he told his wife, he said, that poor boy must be bereft of, of a brain because I told him that the bus stop was up there, and he was standing in the wrong place. And a little bit, the wife walked outside, and she said, Sugar, I know you've got somewhere to go, but said, you need to get up there to catch the bus. You see it right up there? And he says, yes, ma'am. She said, now go up there, and he stayed there. 
Well, they got very frustrated with him. They didn't know what to do with this young man that wouldn't listen. And about that time, the bus turned the corner, and the man and woman were inside the shop watching, and the bus very slowly stopped and opened for the little boy. Well, their mouths fell open, and the man walked out there and looked, and the little boy looked back, and he said, Sir, thank you so much, but you see, that's my daddy driving the bus. And I knew he would see me before he saw that bus stop. That's our encouragement. Our Heavenly Father is watching us. And He will wait for us and He will work on our behalf and we don't have to be afraid. But we can't listen to the noise round about us. We can't be distracted by the naysayers. Those who say that, oh God missed the boat on this one. You better not you know, get too caught up. You live in the same world I live in. Right? But the reality is, God can make the necessary changes that are needed in our life to bring us where we need to be. If we remember that, that our Heavenly Father calls us to a house of prayer, to trust Him and not the Internet, and not the so-called experts, but to trust Him to change us and what we need to become, Everything is so different. It was my privilege to earn a degree from a wonderful school here in Birmingham. Sanford University is made up of a number of schools, but I had the privilege to attend Beeson Divinity School and receive a doctorate from there. In my doctoral committee, I had many wonderful people, but one of my favorite uh, was Dr. Lyle Dorsett. Lyle Dorsett is the biographer of C.S. Lewis, and this is one of the books that he wrote some years ago. It's entitled, And God Came In. And it's focused not just on the life of C.S. Lewis, but about C.S. Lewis, who in later life married. And when he married, uh, he had become a Christian. And see, he was an atheist for much of his life and got saved in an amazing way. And this is a reflection of his wife, Joy, and about the salvation that changed their household. C.S. Lewis once remarked that every story of conversion is a story of blessed defeat. When the Holy Spirit of God would overcome the sinner and conquer and take conquest of that life, it's a defeat for the flesh, but it's a victory for God. And, and, and Joy recounts this in her speaking of how God worked that day when her heart was opened. And for that very brief moment, her intellectual prowess was laid down. And the Spirit of God laid open her heart and communicated to her the truth that changed her. She said, It is infinite unique. There are no words there are no comparisons. Can one scoop up the sea in a teacup? Those who have known God will understand me. The others, I find, can neither listen nor understand. There was a person with me in that room, directly present to my consciousness, a person so real that all my precious life was by comparison a mere shadow of play. As I prayed, I realized that I was more alive 
than I had ever been before. And the one standing with me, among me, within me, was like awaking from sleep in my life. So intense a life cannot be endured long by the flesh and blood. It can only be given through the Spirit. My perception of God lasted roughly three minutes, and I was changed forever. Dear people, that's what prayer is, communion with God. And that's simply what Jesus wanted to open the door to again. Don't let anything in this time of pestilence and disease separate you from the voice of God. Sometimes I believe in this time the most spiritual thing you can do is unplug anything that's electronic in your house and turn it off. Turn your phone off. And listen to a voice that's penetrating. That still small voice that knows you better than you know you. But loves you far beyond any expectation. Listen to that voice and be changed. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit speaks to us even now. We can hear your voice guide us, advise us, exhort us, encourage us, and also warn us. And I pray that this morning that we could listen to that voice and we could be changed that we could understand the importance of what you say to us, Father, and that we would be aware and accountable for all. Father, may we make our hearts and our lives a house of prayer, and may we be found faithful in all that we do. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.